Welcome to the Reform Rookie Podcast. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. And so? Worthy vicar, do we find anything here of relics? By faith man lives and is made righteous, not by what he does for himself. Be it adoration of relics, singing of masses, pilgrimages to Rome, purchase of pardon for his sins, but by faith in what God has done for him already through his son. Dr. Martin, if you leave the Christian to live only by faith, if you sweep away all good works, all these glorious things you dismiss as mere crutches, what will you put in their place? Christ. Man only needs Jesus Christ. in Jesus name we pray amen so we got done with the backstory and I don't want us to forget any of that and you'll see as we go through this the importance of knowing what was going on uh, in the time of Ezekiel so this morning we're going to look we're going to begin looking at the commissioning of Ezekiel in Babylon uh, we'll talk about whether this is the priesthood whether it's moving him into being a prophet. We may not get to that specifically today, but that's what we're going to be looking at. So let's, let's read the first three verses, because that's what we plan on covering. In the 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the exiles by the Kebar Canal, the heavens were opened. And I saw visions of God. On the fifth day of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Bussi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the Kebar Canal. The hand of the Lord was upon him. There's a lot going on here, believe it or not, in these three verses. We can learn a lot from this, uh, not only about Ezekiel, but in general. And we're going to look at this section here first. In the 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the exiles by the Kebar Canal. Uh, one of the things we're going to find with Ezekiel, particularly in these opening three verses, he really gives a lot to give us a date stamp of where it's starting from. Some of it we may not have a, a definite answer for. Some of it we do. But it gives us a good idea of when this took place. I also want to point out something here. In the original language, it says end it came to pass in the 30th year, in the fourth month, on the day uh, uh, five of the month. End. That end is significant in that it ties with something else. And it came to pass on the 30, in the 30th year. ESV says in the 30th year. It leaves out that end. It just says in the 30th year. NIV says, in my 30th year, there's a bit of an assumption being made here. Then NAS 
says, now it came about in the 30th year. That's closer to the original. Now and end are, are very much the same in the fact that it points to something else. King James, now it came to pass in the 30th year. From the original text, and it came to pass in the 30th year. The end ties the book of Ezekiel to something. Does anyone know what it ties it to? No, not Revelation. It ties it to Jeremiah. Jeremiah, as you know from our previous study, uh, is got his ministry in Jerusalem in parallel to Ezekiel. In fact, his ministry started before Ezekiel. Um, perhaps it's even chapter 29, but that's my speculation because of the way it associates. Let's read it real quickly. Jeremiah's letter to the exiles, starting uh, chapter 29, verse 1. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exile and the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after Jehoiakim, I'm not using the other name because I can't pronounce that right, and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the eunuchs, one of them was Daniel, uh, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. We'll talk a little bit more about that later, not today, about who was taken in this, this group. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisha, the son of Shapha, um, and uh, Jermera, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles who I, am sent, who I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses, live in them, plant gardens, and eat their produce. This is to the exiles. So who are we talking about with Ezekiel? We're talking about the exiles. We're talking about those who have been sent off to Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar. And Jehoiakim. We'll see in the first few verses that it ties right in with Jehoiakim. I want to take this. We're not going to talk about today, but I want you to remember this part of the verse. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, etc. That's a very important verse as we look at uh, what is being spoken about in Ezekiel, particularly what the uh, prophets, or I should say, the false prophets are telling the people in exile. And who is it that's saying this? The Lord of hosts is saying this to them. And it says, whom I have sent into exile. So there's a lot in that, in that section there. In the 30th year, let's talk a little bit about in the 30th year. So 
Is this referring to the 30th year of Josiah's reform? Remember, we talked about Josiah, and uh, he was one of the good kings, and he uh, had a uh, revival with the people of Israel. So is that 30th year referring to that? Or is it perhaps something to do with the year of Jubilee? Or is it Ezekiel's 30th year? NIV already assumed that by the Mai. Or is it something else? The text does suggest Ezekiel's priesthood. In Numbers 4, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, Take a census of the sons of Kolhan from among the sons of Levi by their clans and their fathers' houses from 30 years old up to 50 years old, all who can come on duty to do the work in the tent of meeting. From 30 years, that's when a priest would start his work, and he would go till 50. Some say 25 years. Uh, in some of the verses, there's debates on why that is. But let's just say, in general, 30 years. So maybe, maybe that is Ezekiel's 30th year. Well, a lot of the commentators had something different to say. Patrick Frabrain says this, the information contained in these introductory verses respecting the person of Ezekiel and the time at which he entered on his prophetical call is very explicit upon some points but indefinite or doubtful upon others. It tells us that he was of the priestly order and that his father's name was Bussy, but it does not indicate with what particular family of the priesthood he was connected, nor does it state that he had ever personally discharged the duties of the priestly office in the temple. The more special part of the description has respect to his position and calling as a prophet to his exile countrymen on the banks of the Kibar. He was indeed the only individual raised up among them to fulfill their, the prophetical office. So here, Patrick does not believe necessarily that that 30 years is associated with it. Um, my understanding from what I read uh, 30, 30 years or 25 years, 25 years. So this is that question. Derek Thomas says this. And each, each one of these commentators, I've, I've gotten some really good stuff from. I, I respect what they have to say. My point being is they have differing opinions. The opening verse informs us that Ezekiel was 30 years. Assuming that this refers to Ezekiel's age, then the prophet would have been 25 years old at the time of deportation. He, along with many other Jews, had refused to acknowledge the legitimacy of Ezekiel's reign, the puppet king who had replaced Jehoiakim, 2 Kings 24, 17 through 18. And five years later, Ezekiel's still using Jehoiachin as the legitimate reference point of history. So here, Derek Thomas has another opinion. I think I want something noted here. He, among many of the other Jews, had refused to acknowledge the legitimacy of Zedekiah's reign. 
That's important to remember, and we'll see as we start going through much later on uh, through Ezekiel, uh, there's a reference where Zedekiah is referred to as a prince rather than the king. So that's just an interesting point. And John Calvin, he says this, we see the prophet was called to the office of a teacher in the fifth year after Jehoiakim had voluntarily surrendered himself to the king of Babylon, 2 Kings 24, 15, and had been dragged into exile together with his mother, for it was, for it was he says, in the 30th year. The greater part of the commentators follow the Chaldean uh, paraphrate uh, and understand him to date the finding of the book of the law. It is quite clear that this year was the 18th of King Jos Josiah, but in my compilation, I do not subscribe to the opinion of those who adopt this date. For this phrase, the 30th year, would then appear to be obscure and forced. We nowhere read that succeeding writers adopted this date as a standard. Besides, there is no doubt the usual method among the Jews was to begin to reckon from, the ju from a jubilee. For this was a point of starting for the future. I therefore do not doubt that this 30th year is the reckoning from the jubilee. So we have three different opinions, three very valid uh, very strong commentators. So what do we believe? We're going to leave that as something that each one of us can ponder. And if it was meant to be totally understood, we would understand it. There's some things that we're not going to totally understand. I'll give you my opinion in a, in a minute. Let's look, though, in the fourth month on the fifth day of the month. This is interesting, too. This would correspond with late June, early July in our calendar. Remember, they were using a solar, uh, lunar solar calendar. Ezekiel was, oh, there we go, most likely working from a spring calendar. Ancient Israel's calendar was a lunar solar calendar in sync with the natural cycles of the moon and the sun. These astronomical phenomena phenomena help determine the length of a day, month, and year. So the fourth month of the fifth day would have been in the Hebrew month Tammuz. This is actually very interesting, and it could be just purely coincidental. Named after the god of the fertility, uh, named after, oh, I kind of typed that wrong, named after the god of fertility, believed to have the powers for new life in nature in the spring. Tammuz. It is interesting to note that Tammuz was the God being mourned for in Ezekiel 8.14. If you've been reading through Ezekiel and had jumped up to that, you'll see that the women were mourning for Tammuz, and this was the God being mourned for uh, in the temple. Then he brought me to the entrance of the north gate of the house of the Lord, and behold, there sat women weeping for Tammuz. Food for thought. Yes? That's correct. 
Yes, that's correct. The Hebrew calendar, yep. Yeah, we, we could do a side study on that. It is kind of interesting. Um, I was going to put something in there for that, but it gets us sidetracked. But yes, it is. Okay. This one's a little easier. In the fifth year, remember, we're, we're determining uh, Ezekiel's placement, right, and in time and space. In the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiachin, Jehoiachin was exiled in 50, 598, 597 B.C. I put that because there is some question about that. I, I see it as 597 from what, I, what I'm reading. Uh, so the year Ezekiel is writing about would have been 593 B.C. Because five, we're talking five years. Okay? And that's the focal point of this book. That's where we're starting from. That's where Ezekiel begins his writings. 2 Kings 24, 12-14 says this, And Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, gave himself up to the king of Babylon, himself and his mother and his servants and his officials and his, and his palace. The king of Babylon took him prisoner in the 18th year of the reign of his reign. So we're seeing this mentioned in a number of places in Scripture as well. Note, this is about 12 years since the first exile. Judah still had not improved their attitude. They had not changed. They had not repented. They were still hard-hearted, rebellious. 12 years into being exiled from their Jerusalem, there was no change. God is a gracious and merciful God. All right, so the next one is also an easy one, but important. I was among the exiles by the Kabar Canal. Ezekiel's location and place of his ministry was the Kabar Canal, or near the Kabar Canal, which is right here. Okay, just, uh, I guess it's south of Babylon. Ezekiel was with whom? He was with the exiles. So we know where he's at and who he's with when he begins his writing. Ezekiel's primary audience then? The exiles. The Kabar River was a large uh, irrigation canal that brought water into the Euphrates just below Babylon. So now we know his location where he's starting this writing. We know the year that he's starting his writing. This is a lot of information that we don't get with a lot of the other prophets. But it kind of pinpoints where we're at. So the exiles, let's talk a little bit about the exiles. We already kind of addressed this in the first two classes, but Ian Dugid said this, and I thought this was very, how did I do on that pronunciation? A little better than normal? <laughs> He said this about the exiles. It is not simply homeless. Rather, it is knowing that you have a home. And it's important we understand this as we look at how they react. But that your home has been taken by enemies. It is not being without roots. On the contrary, it is having deep roots which have been plucked up. And there you are, with roots dangling, writhing in pain, exposed to the cold and jeering world, longing to be restored to the native 
and nurturing soil, that being Jerusalem. Uh, exile is knowing precisely where you belong, but knowing that you can't go back. Not yet. What do you do in exile? The first thing you do is you sit down and you weep. So this is the mindset of, of Judah uh, having been ripped out of Jerusalem. And then, of course, we, we read this last week, Psalm 137.1, By the rivers of Babylon we sat and we wept when we remembered Zion. Remember how they view Zion. Remember how they view Jerusalem uh, as opposed to how they view God. Well, even how they viewed God in relation to Jerusalem. And we'll talk a little bit about that. Note Judah's calamity was a consequence of their own sin. Lamentations 3.42 and 4.13 gives you some insight to that. Back to the commissioning of Ezekiel in Babylon. So what do we know so far? Sorry, John, we're doing a quick review already. We know that Ezekiel began his book in 593 B.C., thereabouts, five years after Jehoiakim's exile in 598-597 B.C. We know 593 B.C. is the focal point of the book of Ezekiel, where it starts, how we get going, the year that uh, he begins his, his work. Uh, we can't be sure of the 30th year and what that refers to. I personally do believe that uh, it refers to him being uh, the age of, of priesthood. In the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, was likely in the month of Tammuz. Ezekiel's location was at the Kebar Canal. Ezekiel's primary audience were the exiles. Ezekiel is tied to the book of Jeremiah. And then finally, the exiles were told to build houses and live lives in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, etc. So that's where we're at right now. So let's look at the next part of this verse. Let's look at the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. And let's look at the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel, the priest, the son of Bussy. And then also the hand of the Lord was upon him. Each one of these sections of this passage are very important to understand uh, what is going on with Ezekiel and how he is able to function as the prophet he is called to be. The original languages, by the way, read that Ezekiel, son of Bussy, the priest, as opposed to uh, stating that Ezekiel is the priest. Now, this is kind of a moot point because as the son of a priest, the expectation is you are going to be a priest. So let's look at the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. We were talking about this this morning with Nancy. We'll get into a big part of this next week because this is an amazing section. God opened Ezekiel's spiritual eyes and gave him the privilege to see into the reality of the heavenly realm. These verses will take up about three chapters worth preparing Ezekiel for his ministry. 
the, this, these visions that he's seeing, uh, as amazing as they are, are also important in the sense that it gets Ezekiel where he needs to be to begin his ministry for God. It gets Ezekiel in the correct mindset. It gets Ezekiel realizing the glory of God, and that's what it's about. Not only did Ezekiel hear the word of God, but he also saw a vision of the glory of the Lord on his divine throne chariot, which was prepared for action. This book is structured around those visions. Those visions are very important to understand uh, Ezekiel. Okay, the, the fact that this was a divine throne chariot that he saw prepared for action has a lot to say too. We'll get into that when we look at that particular section. Regarding the, the heavens being opened, do you remember Jesus' baptism, Matthew 3.16? Immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. This idea of being able to see up into the heavenly realms, the reality of what's going on in the heavenly realms, is not just unique to Ezekiel. Also Stephen in Acts 7, 55, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into the heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Similar. Each, each man is going to describe it uh, as, as he understands it. But it's very similar what God has allowed here, particularly when we look at the Son of God. Ezekiel, we all know this one very, very well. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robes filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Uh, each had six wings, and two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Here, Isaiah has also been given this vision of God, preparing him for his ministry as prophet. Psalm 99, the Lord reigns, let the people, peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim, let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion, he is exalted over all peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name, holy is he. This, these visions that these, uh, these prophets and what the, what the Messiah saw are really stressing, among other things, the glory of God, the sovereignty of God, who God is in reality in the realms above. For Ezekiel, these visions would be grounds for uh, both the judgment and hope that he had to deliver. He needed to understand this to be able to deliver these messages. After exile, life would be uh, given. Uh, after exile, life would be given to the dead. We'll see that as we get into the dry bones and a couple of other sections. But that's important. After this exile and after the judgment, 
that uh, the exiles will go through, there are those who will live again. There's the remnant that will come out of this. Not because of Israel, but because of the mercy of God. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel. This phrase legitimizes Ezekiel as a prophet and gave him authority to deliver messages from God to the exiles. It was not his word, not Ezekiel's word, that he delivered these messages by. It was God's word. This is similar to many of the other uh, prophets uh, calling. Uh, we see this type of phrase uh, many times throughout Scripture. But it's important here to note the authority that Ezekiel was given to deliver God's word. The bar Yahweh. Uh, the phrase, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel, was used every time, as we read through Ezekiel, every time he was to receive or proclaim a word from God. It actually occurs about 50 times throughout the book. So the words that are being delivered by Ezekiel are not his own, and they have authority from God. They're God's words to the exiles in Babylon. This section inaugurates and commissions Ezekiel into the prophetic office and his ministry to the exiles. He was now responsible, that's the other thing, upon being given this call, he's responsible. He, it's not an option. He's responsible to bring God's word to the exiles. God had spoken to him and now he must speak to the people. Remember the prophet is the mouthpiece of God, okay? God had spoken to him, now he has to go to the, uh, the exiles with these messages from God, and he was to speak unequivocally of the judgment and destruction to come. But then there would be future restoration. So that's a heavy job, a heavy position to have. We're prophets today in a matter of speaking. We have a heavy responsibility. We've been given the word of God and we've been tapped on the shoulder, if you will, to share that word of God with all that we come across. That's not an option. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel. It is important to note that the word came, came to the exiles in Babylon. They had been forced to leave their lives in Jerusalem, leave their temple, leave where they believed God only resided. They believed this. God came to them and met them where they were at. This is another important concept. And, and we talked about this, I don't know if it was last week or the week before. The mindset of the Judeans and even Israel in, in proper uh, was that God was living in Jerusalem. And when they were pulled from Jerusalem, pulled from Judah, they no longer had God with them. So they thought. They didn't have an understanding that God was sovereign over all. In a way, Ezekiel was a priest for the temple that came to the exiles. A spiritual temple. However, very few would actually realize this. Very few would see that concept because they were so superstitious about Jerusalem and the temple in Jerusalem. 
The rest would refuse to listen, refuse to recognize the truths that Ezekiel was called to tell them. Ezekiel 2, the descendants also are impotent and stubborn. I send you to them and you shall say to them, thus says the Lord God, that we have the, the authority. And whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house. Remember, we, we spoke about this last week where Ezekiel is called to this task and he's already told they're not going to listen to you. Ezekiel the priest. The original language says Ezekiel son of Bussy the priest, not Ezekiel the priest son of Bussy. <clears throat> because Ezekiel's father was a priest, Ezekiel would have been a priest as well. So it's again, I, I say it, it's kind of a moot point. Ezekiel would have been well acquainted with the priestly functions and more importantly, the covenant that God had made with Israel. <clears throat> God is a covenant keeping God. And that has to be remembered as we look at this exile and what the exiles were going through. Ezekiel would also be well acquainted with the stipulations of the covenant, both the blessings and the curses. That's important too because of what uh, is coming in the judgment uh, uh, as this progresses through. As a priest, Ezekiel was called to be the guardian of God's holiness. He was called to make sure that God is viewed as holy, that God's word is viewed as authoritative. What priest, what was the first priest that failed at this? Anybody know? Adam, that's right. He failed. He, he was in the temple in the garden and he allowed Satan. He was standing right next to Eve. And he allowed Satan to have Satan's way. Ezekiel would have been expected to be a mediator for the people before God as well. Still got plenty of time. Prophet, priest, and king. This is not exhaustive, but I, I wanted to lay out a real quick uh, comparison on this. So... A prophet, a mouthpiece of God before the people, spoke, taught, and exemplified God's word. Near and far, double prophecies. When you get time, look at Isaiah 7.14 and 8.3. It's an interesting uh, situation. When we look at that particular prophecy, you'll, you'll know uh, where I'm going with this. I, I don't want to take time. He was to interact with God. He was, to be, uh, he was to advise, admonish, counsel, uh, nourish, and encourage. He was the ambassador to the king from the high king. That's important. Very important. Also, he would pronounce forgiveness and pardon from God. The priest was the mouthpiece for the people before God. And remember, I said that uh, I think it was last week, that Ezekiel was both prophet and priest. So he's put in a precarious situation, in a sense. Uh, he's to mediate and intercede before God, be, uh, offer up prayers, praise, gifts of sacrifice uh, to God for himself and the people, types and shadows of the future. Let me go back. I forgot something here. With the near and the far, 
as we look at Ezekiel and some of the prophetic things that come out, it's going to be things that are going to happen in near time, but they also are related to things that will happen much later. That's what I mean by near and far. We'll talk more about that when we get to it. Um, with the priest, the types and shadows of the future, and then uh, declare the will and law of God according to his word, taught and guided the people. The king, he acted as God's vice regent among the people, administered judge, uh, justice and equity in accordance with God's word, which he was taught, should have been taught by the priests and the prophet, uh, sought the peace and prosperity and welfare of the people in accordance with the word of God, not put the people in a welfare system. Don't misunderstand that. And uh, he was to set an example for the people. That example, uh, all three of these positions were, were to set examples. Part of the problem of uh, Judah, where they were at, was they did not set examples. False prophets. We're going to see as we get into this, there were a lot of false prophets at the time as well. So this is a real quick synopsis of a false prophet. Uh, there was a lot of them among the exiles. Oh, I don't have this in order. Uh, their predictions are false and do not come true. They are not from God and are false counsel. They defy God's law and word. They lead the people astray. They are worthy of death. In exile, the false prophets were telling the people that this would be the end quickly. This is why I wanted you to remember the portion where Jeremiah says to build homes and plant uh, gardens, live lives. The expectation was the exiles would be there a long time. Yet a lot of the false prophets in Ezekiel are telling this is going to be over quickly. They failed to listen to God's word. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Word of sword, famine, and plague. Remember those judgments, those three judgments that uh, are played out. Uh, and this would happen if there was no repentance. But there would be no comfort without repentance. And it would be 70 years, 70 years worth of exile before it would end. So these false prophets are saying it's going to be over quickly. Seventy years to me is not over quickly. Uh, if I was given 70 more years, I, I'd be pretty old at this point. And, uh, anyway, so this is a real quick, obvious synopsis of what a false prophet is, but we need to keep this in mind because we're going to see them as we go through Ezekiel. The hand of the Lord was upon him. This is also very important. This stresses... Uh, where Ezekiel gets his strength. The hand of the Lord was what gave Ezekiel his strength for this seemingly impossible task. Uh, when you're told that nobody's going to listen to you, that uh, they're, they're going to turn a deaf ear to what you have to say, yet you're called to talk to them and speak to them, yeah, that's an impossible task, humanly speaking. What does Ezekiel's name mean? Does anybody remember? God strengthens. So it's not Ezekiel's strength, but it's God's strength that's going to pull him through all of this. Ezekiel was not to perform his commission in his own strength. 
We're not called to perform as Christians, as witnesses, as preachers, teachers, uh, even just sharing our faith in our own strength. We're called to do this in the strength of the Lord. The Holy Spirit is the one that will give us this strength. Nor could he. He would not be able to do this in his own strength. It was in the strength of the Lord's hand. The Lord's divine power, Ezekiel would endure, could only endure through the power of the Lord. By the divine power of a glorious Lord, which Ezekiel was given the privilege to see, riding on his divine throne chariot, prepared for action. Preparing Ezekiel for action when he was to come up against the rebellious people. So that's one point right there where it was important for Ezekiel to see this vision. It reminded of who he was serving, the great and awesome and glorious God. Ezekiel was given the Lord's authority, the Lord's strength, and the Spirit. We're given the Lord's authority, we're given the Lord's strength, and we're given the Spirit. What are we doing with it? Food for thought. Yes, John. And we've been given the same job. And we've been given the same job. That's 100% correct. All right. After exile, the infant church. I want to throw this in here. Acts 2, 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles, teaching the fellowship, uh, to breaking of bread and prayer, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers day by day those who were being saved. We're in a little different situation today, uh, but a lot of this still applies. Where does our strength come from? Where do we manage to uh, build the church, the, the, uh, whether it be the local church or the church in general? We can do this by fellowshipping together, by strengthening one another through the power of God, through the Holy Spirit, through His Word, fellowshipping, taking of the means of grace. Uh, if we expect to see change in this world, it's going to start with us. This is what we'll look at next week, the glory of the Lord. Uh, and this is an extremely interesting section. So let's close in prayer. Blessed Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray you would be glorified through all of this, Father, that... You have been listening to the Reformed Rookie Podcast, where we aim to teach Reformed theology to beginners or rookies. Be sure to look us up on the web at www.reformedrookie.com, where you will find many more learning tools and aids to help you grow in your understanding of all things Reformed. And remember, Semper Reformanda. Dr. Luther, are you prepared to retract these writings? 
In some, I discuss faith and good works. If I were to retract these, I should be denying accepted Christian truths. Martin Luther, you have not yet answered the question. Will you recant, or will you not? Here it is. I am bound to my beliefs by the texts of the Bible. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Amen.